And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Akadekagonagon Files. Featuring Thomas DJ. In three, two, one. It is a great, great pleasure to be sitting here on this hot Wednesday, July night with the closest friend I've never been in the same room with, the great Michael Bailey. And we are going to talk about another thing that never came to pass. Yeah, and and it's my fault because I've gotten... You know, I'm about to quote Glenn Ford from Superman the movie. Man gets older and suddenly he sees things very clear. And... uh, what I realized as I was attempting to do what I was attempting to do, that I'm at that age where, man, I can call it if I really want to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, if I am just not feeling something, I, there is there is less time in front of me than behind me. So, <laughs> Welcome to my world! So maybe, maybe I should just say, you know what? I gave the champions a try. I mean, three issues, especially for the 1970s. It's like, what, 17 issues today, I think? It's it's 17 issues plus an Iron Man annual, an issue of the Avengers, a crossover with uh, Supervillain Team-Up, a two-part coda in the spectacular Spider-Man, <laughs> and an, a Hulk annual. It, you know, it's 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 funny when you say all that together because, you know, the 1970s were still very much a time period of newsstand dis- distribution mm-hmm. being the primary way comics got in the hands of people, mm-hmm. and because of that, the comic companies, especially DC Comics, was very reticent to do. You know, ongoing stories, much less, you know, crossovers. And then with this one, you just get the feeling that because Marvel was so effed up in mm-hmm. the 70s on a, on a, on a executive level and an editorial level, right. that somebody really wanted this thing to get finished. So they just kept sticking it in other things. Well, um... Tony Isabella has a story about that, which we will get to. But let's let's set up the um, set up the disaster around Christmas time. Comicology had a Marvel's masterwork um, special where many masterworks were to be had for ninety nine cents, and I picked up a bunch of them. Including Champions Masterwork, because as a kid, I loved that comic. I have no idea why. Um, 
Around Christmas time, Comicology had a Marvel Masterworks sale. And many Marvel Masterworks were available for 99 cents to $2. And since I was flush with cash, because it was Christmas time, I indulged myself and bought a number of them, including The Defenders and Ms. Marvel and The Champions, because as an 11-year-old, I loved me The Champions. And I have no explanation for that at this point, especially after reading these books now. And I was talking to... Michael and I said to Michael we were talking about the defenders which I also picked up and we were talking about maybe doing an episode of uh views from the long box about mm -hmm. these two teams we're still probably going to do one for the defenders correct yes uh, at some point because I, I yeah, will I, read I, that because uh, I actually like that team <laughs> <laughs> well, well yeah but the, the thing that, that's fascinating about the defenders is arguably it contains the first uh, company-wide crossover mm -hmm. in the history of comics. In the Defenders Avengers War. Which, again, was a, was a huge chance that Marvel took because you weren't guaranteed to get both at whatever spinner rack uh, exactly. you were buying from. So, um, so we were going to do the Champions and the Defenders. And I think I warned you because I, I was already knee deep in the in the, the the champions that they were a little rough. And you lasted four four issues, right? You gave up around the Chris Claremont issue. Yeah, it was, I, I believe it was issue four where I was just like, nope. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're at that age where you can we can wear whatever we want. You know that's that's why I wear my my rose gold uh, headphones out in public because I'm old enough to say fuck y'all. I don't care. But yeah, and and I I sat through the I, I read the whole cycle. So and Tez, should I should I read out Tony's excuse for why that book happened? Sure. Okay, the, one of the nice things about Marvel's Masterworks is that they give you, they, they allow the creators of the books to do forwards for their collections. And he talks about how in the mid-70s, the upper management at Marvel said they wanted more books. And at the time, the editors were Len Wein and Marv Wolfman, and they called all their writers in for meetings to pitch books. The Champions concept I pitched to my friends, Len and Marv, was not what readers would see a few months later. My original pitch was a title starting, starring just Iceman and the Angel. I wanted to do a mashup of Route 66 and the Odd Couple. Two young heroes traveling across the country, having adventures and helping people. I figure many of these people should be beautiful young women because do I really have to explain that? Okay, at this point... Sounds sounds okay, right? It's it's a solid elevator pitch. Yeah, I will say that. And has has Isabella pointed out, Iceman and Angel were the only two original X Men who were not having anything done with them because the Beast was about to join the Avengers, thanks to Steve Englehart. 
and um, Cyclops and Jean Grey were occupied with Claire in the Claremont and Cockrum's X Men. So, my original Champions concept survived about ten seconds, undone by Len saying all superhero teams must have five members. I thought he was putting me on, given he'd both written and edited Fantastic Four. Our conversation went like this. Tony, you mean like the Fantastic Four? Len, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the initial rule was followed by others. Every team must have a strong man. Every team must have a woman. Every team must have one member who has his own book. Len stopped short of telling me every team must have a mystery-solving dog. <laughs> so, with this edict, Isabella added the Black Widow, who he just wrote out of Daredevil. So that, once again, still, still making a little bit of sense, right? Mm -hmm. He needed a strong guy, so he picked Hercules. And he needed a character with his own book, and he didn't want to say he wanted to set the book in L.A. because Len Wein suggested Luke Cage, but Luke Cage was already involved with the Defenders, but Len didn't care. And, but Tony wanted to set the book in L.A., so he chose Ghost Rider. That's where it just becomes Mad Lips. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> And yet, I, I was fascinated with this book as a kid. Um, revisiting it 50-some-odd years later, I don't know why. Um, well, okay, so let's look at it from the, the viewpoint of being a kid. Right. Uh, specifically being a kid, well, more like a teenager, I would assume, in the 1970s. I, I was 11 at the time. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm a tweener. So, you're 11 years old, you love superheroes. Yes. Uh, and what year was this again? 1975. Okay, so 1975. So, and I, and I know you don't like Star Wars, but Star Wars right. was a watershed moment in popular entertainment. So. I know, I So know. Star Wars doesn't exist, Superman the movie hasn't happened, the Incredible Hulk television series hasn't become a blockbuster sensation the, the closest thing we have is Planet of the Apes, and that's dying yeah, out, right? And that's the, dying on out. The vine. I mean, you had, like, that year, the Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, which I think is probably, if you looked up cult status in, like, a dictionary, that would mm -hmm. be one of the, 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 the definitions. Because uh, ultimately, it's it's... A, your standard mid-70s action adventure TV thing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and very much in, in the vein of taking a character, calling it one thing, and then changing absolutely everything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, which is weird, because like two or three years later, they would bring that concept back and set it in World War II. So it's yep. like, what the hell? But, you know, you're 11 years old, you love comic books, and suddenly there's a comic book with your limited resources that has five different characters in it. That right. Because you're not 
Thomas DJ of the year 2021, <laughs> who has not only read thousands of more comics since then and developed <laughs> sensibilities because of that, but actually worked within the Marvel mythos, right. at least in prose. So your 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 opinion of it it has gone from I'm eleven. Look, it's a bunch of cool superheroes and they're all teamed up. To I'm in my fifties and what the hell? This doesn't work. It's <laughs> it's basically like there's these um, Kinder eggs. Have you seen them at stores? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. So kids love them because there's a little toy inside. Mm-hmm. Rachel bought one because she wanted to use the the container as a mold right for something else but she tried the chocolate and it's terrible but kids like it because kids don't know any better (laughs) it's to kids it's chocolate to my wife it's subpar chocolate and i'm not saying that necessarily the writing or the art was subpar because i i I think everybody was doing the best with what they were given Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 well, I mean, we could see from from that quote I just I just uh, read out that Tony was working under a lot of restrictions he was not expecting. You know, it, it, it is, and it's really interesting because I've I've listened, I've both read and listened to Sean Howe's Marvel: The Untold Story, right? Um, which is a cautionary tale of maybe not wanting to know too much how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the seventies seem to be this time period in Marvel comics where, like, like Jim Shooter had to happen almost, right? Given the chaos of the offices, like if you read Les Daniels' Marvel Five Fabulous Decades of the World's Greatest Comics, which mm-hmm. is a great book, like right. If, if you're wanting kind of an introductory deep dive into a history of comic books, coffee table book, mm-hmm. that, that book, when I when my sister got it for me for Christmas back in like 1991, mm-hmm. I read the crap out of that thing. Right. But it's very textbookish. Like right. it doesn't get into things. So when you read about, well, you know, Stan Lee stepped down as editor-in-chief and then Roy Thomas stepped up and then Roy stepped down and it was mm-hmm. I think Len Wein after him uh Jerry Conway I think yeah because Jerry Conway was like I, I think it was Len Marv then Jerry Conway then Archie then Archie and then Jim Shooter right uh but when you read it in the Les Daniels book it all seems so amicable mm-hmm in real life, it was a a, 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 a horror show of personal like personalities working against a culture where you know it's not like DC Comics of the of the sixties where everyone's wearing suits. Right. You know, this is Marvel Comics where Marv Wolfman apparently comes in at noon and then immediately goes out to lunch. <laughs> um, so the fact that anything got published. Mm-hmm is kind of a minor miracle but it seems to me that like everybody was vying for whatever little bit of power they could get right and and i'm not saying that as a bad thing like they were all like you know like had huge egos and all that i think they Mm -hmm. were just trying to survive in chaos right well the thing to, to, to realize is that i think stan truly thought roy was going to just take over 
and be Stan. And Roy didn't want to be Stan. Roy wanted to be Roy. Mm-hmm. Which is why he didn't last very long as editor-in-chief. And then everybody and, and everybody after that was was jockeying for the for the big for the big leagues until Jim Shooter came along and said, "Okay, this is a mess." Yes, he did a lot of bad things. But he got it working back as a business. Yeah, you know, we can we can argue the pros and cons of Jim Shooter all day long. I think Peter David uh, I think said one of the most insightful things about the man is that the reason why he ultimately fell is that if you're the boss you can tell everybody that you know better than they can, but you can't tell that to your boss. Right. And Jim Shooter could not tell the difference between him being the boss and who was his boss. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the output that happened under Jim Shooter's watch, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking Miller on Daredevil. Right. We're talking John Burns Fantastic Four. Uh, mm-hmm. Roger Stern on the Avengers. The Avengers, yes. Uh, Claremont's uh, X Men, you know, rising to greater and greater heights, mm-hmm. uh, both because of and in spite of his uh, shooters uh, getting into the mix, right? And I don't think you can look at uh, like a like a series of books from a company and not go, "Wow, at least." And this is going to be this is going to sound terrible. At least the trains were running on time, and yeah. they were entertaining at the same time. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, but but then, because if I remember correctly, after Jim was Tom, yep, Tom DeFalco, and then things went to shit because they decided to do the houses. Yeah, they did the uh, the five families of <laughs> Marvel comics. The five families. <sighs> <laughs> and it's just like, I remember when that happened, my friend, uh, or a little bit after that happened, my friend uh, Chuck, who uh, was one of my first friends when I moved down here to Georgia, mm-hmm. he looked at me, he goes, so do you think they're just trying to figure out who sells the best and eventually they're just going to make Bob Harris the editor-in-chief? <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, for those who don't know what the five houses are, uh, it, Marvel, in the, it was early 90s is right after the image split right um it was 95 95 when it happened okay 95 marvel decided to split the editorial duties into five houses spider-man avengers x-men midnight suns and edge (laughs) yes Otherwise known as, here's where everybody else goes and we don't know what the fuck to do with them. So it was like Nick Fury and the Punisher and the Hulk. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of fascinating uh, when you looked at that, uh, that that end of the Marvel Universe at the time. So, um, but that that's way in the future. Yeah. At this time, there was a big push because there was a, a paper surplus mm-hmm. uh, in both DC and Marvel to put out new books. And um, sometimes, actually, I don't, I was about to say sometimes you get, and then I was thinking of what was a successful book at that time? The Invaders? Really? 
The Invaders lasted thirty three issues. Yeah, that, that was that was pretty. You know, yeah. for a for a book of that era, I, I would I would consider but, but that. I, I think they were um, they predate this this period because they started as part of the giant size line in seventy four. Was it seventy four? I think seventy five was the first Invaders. Yeah, no, but the, the, they had they had giant size Invaders yeah. number one, and then they had no, Invaders number one. Yes, but I think giant size Invaders came out towards the. The, either the end of ninety of seventy four, the beginning of seventy five. I think you. But anyway, um, but yeah. So so we had this slew of books coming out in seventy five and seventy six, um, some of which have been relaunched and relaunched and eventually found a fair footing, like uh, Ms. Marvel, who is now Captain Marvel, and Spider Woman, who was brought back solely because Brian Michael Bendis thought he w- she was cute. Um, and some are lost to time, like Black Goliath, like Marvel Chillers featuring Tigra, and like the Champions. Ooh, doggy. Um, the funny thing is, is I always used to say that it looked like they just gave Tony a bag with names of characters and he had to pick five and make do. But I did an experiment on uh, on Facebook last night, and it turns out maybe he didn't have as much of a choice as I thought he might have. Because a lot of people struggled, and most of the teams that people proposed were kind of wonky like the champions were. You know, like like this this one here, where um, we have Nick Fury leading Spider Man, Tigra, Black Panther, and the Juggernaut. <laughs> uh, that was suggested by Coley Boyd. Or uh, W. Blaine Dower came up with uh, Black Widow, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, Spider Man, and Deathlok. Yeah, and 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 you, you you mentioned uh question spider-man in that and yeah i kind of see both sides of that because the champions isn't the avengers right so it seems like something and it's not like he would be a member he would just be constantly getting into their adventures yeah (laughs) (laughs) then uh our, our dear friend andrew leyland uh once again nick fury came up as team leader um, Luke Cage, Shayna, the, uh, the She-Devil, Iron Fist, Frankie Ray, and Kazdar. And I rather figured that this group would just hang out in the Savage Land all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are we even going anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> um, Dale Glazer suggested two lineups. One was a Ms. Marvel or Spider-Woman who both debuted in 77. But as I said, since Carol was established well in advance of 75, you could argue that that she could have become Ms. Marvel mm-hmm. earlier. Um, my fav- Actually, this is my favorite of his suggestions for strong guy 
Thundra. I love Thundra. <laughs> Thundra is one of my is a is a favorite character of mine who I don't think gets any respect. And rounding out the roster, Black Goliath, Man Wolf, and Sunfire. Sunfire is interesting because he's not really a team player in no. any sense of the term. And Dale also suggested a a more horror-oriented group of Morbius, Man-Thing, Jennifer Kale, Brother Voodoo, and Pip the Troll. I like that one mainly because I like Pip the Troll uh, as a character. <laughs> Although you got to admit, there's a there's a, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. Aspect of the troll being involved, but anyway, so so he was stuck with Angel Iceman, Iceman has like, like, Iceman. like so Phil well, Iceman, Bob, Bobby Drake was a public accountant, wasn't he? I don't know if he was. I, I think he was a public accountant for a while. So so maybe he was, you know, Bobby Iceman, <laughs> APA, but um. Hercules, Black Widow, and Ghost Rider. And um, it's obvious from the first first three issues that Tony Isabella had no idea how to put this group together. And, and I think that's ultimately one of the more disappointing aspects of it because, you know, I, I've never done any professional, like, fiction writing. Right. Uh, so, but I have dabbled in fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And to me, you give me that set of characters, mm-hmm. I'm going to move heaven and hell to make it work. Right. Like, I will come up with a concept. Mm-hmm. And I'm not insulting Tony Isabella because, you know, of Tony Isabella and me, one of us created Black Lightning and the other yeah. didn't. So it's just like, not, not in any way, shape, form, or fashion uh, is Tony Isabella in any stretch a slouch. But mm-hmm. it just seems to me that if you're handed something like this, and maybe if you're, maybe if it's because it's your job and not something you're doing for fun. Um, I was I was reading a post from Howard Chaikin today, right. uh, who is a delight to follow on Facebook. Oh yes, by the he way. is a delight. He is a hero uh, of mine, uh, and I'm terribly afraid to ask if I can adapt American flag. At ATW. <laughs> I'm terrified to ask him that. You know, I, I get the feeling he's, he's either going to say yes or no. I mean, I don't think there's going to be much of a, a thing. It might be a little baffled by the idea, but you're probably not the first person that's wanted to adapt it. Yeah, um, and, and and the nice thing is we have proof of concept now. But um, and, and, oddly and, enough, of all the artists I've, writers and artists I've asked in the year that ATW has been around. Only one person said no. That's a good record. Garth Ennis. And that's fair. And and keep in mind, Garth Ennis said no when Jimmy Palmiotti said yes. (laughs) Jimmy Palmiotti actually came to us and said, would you be interested in doing this property? And we said, yes, yes, we would. I'll have to ask Garth. And I actually had an email exchange with Garth for, you know, and then he was just quiet for like six months. And every couple, every, every month and a half, I'd go, so uh, Jimmy, is it dead yet? (laughs) And eventually he said, it's dead. 
but yes, so so Garth Ennis is the only person who did not want it. Um, and I'll tell you off off uh, off mic who the two people for 2022 are going to be that we're working with. But I think he'd be very happy. Oh, I'm um, sure, I will be. But but Ch- Howard Chaikin was was talking today about these uh, master classes he gives mm-hmm. and where they came from. And one of the and and they were they came out of something he and another guy and then eventually just him would do for Marvel every once in a while for their contract talent that wasn't maybe performing as well as Marvel wanted them to. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was, you know, this is a business, you know, editors are not your friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You may get friendly with them. Right, but edit, editors provide a certain function, and this is their relationship to you. And right. I think, to a certain extent, there's a difference between me, who doesn't work in the industry, being thrown five disparate characters, and and thinking, ah, I can have some fun with that, and somebody who is this is their living and wants it to mm-hmm. be good at the same time. Like going, okay. And, well, and more I, importantly, being told, no, you can't do what you really want yeah. to do. You've so, got to take these three other guys. And, and and there's a disappointment in that, too. I mean, mm-hmm. creative work is, is hard. Uh, right. Just because sometimes you can, you can take a, what is it, uh, sow's ear and make it a silk make purse. Silk purse, yes. Yeah. I think that's how that goes. I always get, mm-hmm. I always get confused between silk, silk and sow in that for some right. reason. But I'm also the one that doesn't want to say epitome. I want to say epitome for some reason. So <laughs> what the hell do I know? But yeah, I, I went through a period where I was pronouncing both views in vacuum. <laughs> but, but I read the first issue and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? It. I mean, talk about a way of uh, a stretching to get to where you need to go. Yeah. It's just like, wow. Like, like we're just visiting and Black Widow's here teaching and... Applying for a teaching job, yes. Applying for a teaching job with her her Russian whatever he was. This Uh, was during the period and uh, I, I, I have great respect for Jerry Conway. I know you have great respect for Jerry Conway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I call bullcrap on him claiming to me when I asked him about um, Black Widow being patterned after Modesty Blaze. Because that setup is Modesty Blaze. But anyway, but yes, yes, this was during the time when she was hanging out with Ivan who was an older gentleman who um, was her chauffeur slash confidant. And he loved old movies because that was a big thing in Jerry Conway's uh, Daredevil and Black Widow run. And I will say this much about her treatment in that first issue of Champions. It's obvious that Isabel is comfortable with her. Yeah. No, she, she came off... Uh, like I think, really, all the characters came off kind of strong, but she in particular. Yeah. I mean, Angel, and, uh, Bobby, and Warren. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they had the benefit of being extant characters who had 
chemistry beforehand. Right. Uh, given that they were part of the X-Men for how many years before it went into, um, into repeat hell. Oh, uh, oh, that weird limbo. And, and, and Andy and I talk about that in an episode upcoming of Tom and Andy talk about. Yeah. But, but yeah, so, so they, they worked mainly because Isabella cast them as people that were between gigs because they were between gigs. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of felt Except perfectly... for Ghost Rider, who just happened to be driving along. Yeah, like everybody had a reason to be there, and then Ghost Rider just shows up. And right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be completely honest. Uh, I've never glommed onto any version of Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Danny Ketch, right? Who you would think would be my Ghost Rider, considering mm-hmm. when I was, you know, really, you know, like a teenager. Right. But despite a brief flirtation with when the Rise of the Midnight Suns happened, which right. I still hold as one of the most fun things Marvel did in 1992. Oh my gosh! You know, every uh, time you mention that, I think of Len Kaminsky's. Uh, what was it, what were they called? Uh, they were called Night Stalkers. Yeah. Yes. Wait, with... Where they fought DOA, the Department of Occult Arcana. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't only that. It was it was that they all came with posters, that when you put all yep. the posters together, it formed a giant poster. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of fun. But Johnny Blaze was showing up in... Uh, oh, the Howard Mackie Blaze series. Yes, it's yes. so bad, but I loved it. Yeah, But, but the thing is, is that... When I think of that, I think Johnny Blaze mm-hmm. starring Lorenzo Lamas. Because <laughs> uh, that was the hairstyle and all that. Yes. It was the yes. Long, long-haired guy on a motorcycle. It's like, hey, renegade. Um, <laughs> but, but in the he, 70s, he was basically the searcher. Yeah, he, he was essentially the searcher. You're, you're not wrong on that. But I have tried to read 70s Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where I think I've gotten to the point as a as a comic fan and, mm-hmm. and historian, if you will, where I can look at something and go, I see why people liked this. Mm-hmm. I just am not getting anything from it. Now, that doesn't mean that 10 years from now I'll come across a run of 70s Johnny uh, Ghostwriter mm-hmm. books and just completely fall in love with that. I mean, right. that, that can and will happen. Uh, with things, but it's just like he was the one showing up that I'm like one of these things is not like it's not the like other. the other. And and it's funny when you think of this as like between Johnny Johnny Blaze and Hercules. Hercules is the one that feels like he fits in more. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! It just, because he's the but, prince of power. Yeah. So 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 they spend three issues in UCLA getting involved with some Pluto and Hippolyta shit. Yeah, and and let me stop right there and say, Jesus Christ, 70, 70s Marvel. Okay, you read some mythology books. I get it. Because <laughs> this is exactly like, to my mind, Roy Thomas's first two issues of The Invaders where he he puts in the rings of the nebula. I mean, it's just... I don't care! It reminds me of that run on Thor Roy Thomas had, where he incorporated the Eternals and the 
the ring cycle. And it, um, the Wait, young are you gods. telling me that Roy Thomas played with the five rings? I mean, yes, really shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But anyway, um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's three issues of them hanging out in UCLA and fighting mythological things and, um, use it using a portal that Bobby froze. Yeah. To get through to um, Olympus so they could stop the wedding of Hercules to Hippolyta. And that was it. (laughs) And then came the the Chris Claremont issue Mm -hmm. where they were trying to set up, which is apparently something that, that Tony authorized because he was moving at the time. But which set up the idea for the book, which was the heroes for the common man. Which is a good concept. Um, yeah. I really like the artwork in that issue, by the way. Oh, the, the George Tuska artwork? Yeah, Tuska, Tuska sometimes on superhero work, because it wasn't what Tuska was built for. Or could, wanted to do. Could, could, I mean, could be a little weak, but like yeah. all of the military stuff in that issue... Mm-hmm. Looked amazing. Well, it had a feel that that whole fourth issue, and I remember being disappointed as eleven year old Tom because it didn't feel like a superhero comic. It felt more like a horror comic. Yes, and I think that's what Tusco was responding to. This feeling that it was it was not it was not a a superhero brawl. It was a zombie under it was a, it was a base under siege zombie epic. Um, but, but that's where you, you tapped out. So you didn't even get to the Russian trilogy. You didn't get to Rampage, the supervillain who could be you. I like that name though. Um, Rampage. Well, the name was Rampage, but they kept putting the supervillain who could be you. Exclamation point. Because he was the first supervillain triggered by the recession. I know it gets better, doesn't it? It doesn't. It, um, okay, Stuart Clark is an industrialist who is working on a set of ex, uh, an exoskeleton to be used by the police. But he's not a very good businessman, and his business goes out of um, goes out of business. And he decides that it's because of people like Tony Stark snapping up all the contracts not getting giving a little guy like him a chance so he dons the exoskeleton which looks like a condiment dispenser uh transformer and decides to rob banks and that's the supervillain that could be you exclamation point and it took it took these five characters, two issues to bring him down. They weren't having a good week. Yes, and then there was the Russian trilogy, where which um, only one issue was was written by Tony Isabella, and it was about uh, a character called the Outcast, 
who had a mysterious connection with Ivan, um, who came to Los Angeles to bring Ivan back for trial or something. And he had enlisted the aid of the, uh, the Titanium Man. And he was wearing the crimson uh, dynamo armor. And... Y'all writing this down? <laughs> yeah. It's the Titanium Man, but he's wearing the crimson dynamo No, 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 the armor. Titanium Man is wearing the Titanium Man out, uh, armor. The Outcast. Oh, okay. He's wearing the, the crimson dynamo armor. And just to be on the safe side, they hire the Griffin. <laughs> and they bring along Darkstar which was a new character at the time. And three issues go go by. And Stuart Clark blows up. Thus putting an end to Rampage, the supervillain who could be you, exclamation point. Um, it turns out that the outcast is actually Ivan's son, and he resents his son, he resents his father. And a whole bunch of crazy shit happens. And um, they open their new skyscraper headquarters because nothing says, you know, the uh, heroes for the common man quite like a big ass skyscraper. And at the end, um, Darkstar joins the team. Uh, actually, more like Darkstar kind of hangs around the team, never officially becomes a member. And by that time, Bill Man and I think Bill Mantlo hated this book. If you read the Bill Mantlo issues, he, uh, he honestly wanted to kill this thing dead, <laughs> kill it with fire, which is surprising because I, I never. This is the only time I've seen kind of like malice come from Bill Mantlo. Yeah, I was about to say Mantlo's uh, Mantlo loves this kind of stuff, or really works well in the kind of the fringes of the Marvel universe. I mean, he wrote probably one of the greatest runs of the Incredible Hulk ever, right? Uh, but you know, it's just like you know, even when he was writing Spider Man, what was he really focusing on? Cloak yeah. and Dagger, <laughs> Cloak and Dagger, and the White Tiger. Yeah, I mean, it's what, just... what Fred Hembeck used to call the Bill Mantlo Repertory Company. <laughs> which was White Tiger, Cloak and Dagger, Jack of Hearts, and, oh, there was one other person. Who, who just... my friend Joe Crow loves, by the way. Yeah. Oh, no, Jack of Hearts. I love Jack of Hearts. And um, the biggest problem with the Jack of Hearts was somebody had to come up with that costume. Nobody wanted to draw it, though. So let's see. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm looking through the. What was issues nine through? Oh, that's right. That then they get involved in this thing where this woman has this device that turns out to be an expanding universe, and the only way they can they can get the universe to stop expanding and gobbling up the earth is to go and find the possessor Camutharn and get his stick and then they fought Ka the Living Shadow with Hawkeye and the Rawhide Kid 
And then they fought probably the only character that carried over and had a real career, a real quote unquote career in the MCU after that, uh, Swarm. <laughs> Sorry, every time I hear the name Swarm, I think of that Spider Man Amazing Friends. Yes. Swarm. Swarm. Uh, and by the way, during this time, in, I guess in an effort, because I think that this time the book had gone from monthly to bi monthly. And they had put John Byrne on the book for a while, hoping to pump things up. And it's about this time that we get um, Mantla wrote the Iron Man annual, so he included the, the champions. Um, he started hinting that uh, Black Widow and the and Hercules had the whimwhams for each other, which. Ugh. Um, and. They fought AIM in that issue. It was it was all about AIM and MODOK and stuff. Um, then they go to New York and fight the Avengers uh, because Typhon, a, a giant, uh, a, 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 an Olympian giant who had appeared about maybe three times, was possessing Iron Man. <laughs> These are actual issues, folks. Yeah, it's just... Here's the thing. Here's the best way I can describe how I feel about the Champions. The Champions was a pitch for a Hanna-Barbera superhero cartoon. <laughs> it's like the Galaxy Trio, which, yeah. was made, which was created because they didn't have the rights to the Fantastic Four anymore. So... They were like, we're gonna, we've got the rights to these characters because no one else wants them at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to think. I was, I was talking to one of my younger associates today. Yes, because now I'm dealing with people that are like 19, 20 years old, and it's mm -hmm. weird. And I was explaining something about how the timeline of Marvel movies happened mm -hmm. because she actually asked me, so what was there was like Spider Man, and then the Amazing Spider Man, and then. The, the MCU stuff, how does that all work? And I'm just like, boy, did you ask the right person. Uh, no other manager would be able to give you this useless information. <laughs> yes. um, but it, it, it it's really weird. I was telling her, I go, you got to understand, it's really weird for, for some of us mm -hmm. that Iron Man is a Halloween staple for kids. Yeah. That we're talking about a book that was almost canceled several times. Yeah, like like Iron Man was always a big player in the Marvel <laughs> universe, but when you're talking like the rest of the world, they mm -hmm. knew Spider Man and the Hulk, right? Maybe Captain and America, the X Men, and the X Men. You know, anything that had an animated series. And, yeah. and to be fair, Iron Man did have an animated series, mm -hmm. but it was part of the Marvel Action Hour. That wasn't necessarily carried everywhere. Yeah, and that first, to be fair, that, that first season of uh, well, Iron Man and the Fantastic Four are rough as hell. Rough. I mean, oh. in, interesting voice cast. Yeah, yeah, uh, no. Chuck, uh... Oh, how come I can't remember his last name? Uh, the guy who played the thing. I forget who played the thing. I know Bo Weaver played... Mr. Fantastic and Lori mm -hmm. Allen uh, played Sue Storm and Brian Austin Green 
Yes. Was, was Johnny Storm at one point. I'll be I'll be your, your, your human torch only if you let me rap. Yes. Hey, you know, if if you're gonna you're gonna use what what popularity you have, why not? Brian Austin Green actually seems like a pretty decent guy. Um it, it's not like they said, Okay, you could do the theme song. I can accept that. But then they have him rap in the middle of an episode. <laughs> you know, for the kids. Yes, yes. But, but you know, when, when when you think about it, Black Widow's movie is coming out any minute now. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that she was introduced in Iron Man 2 and then became one of the Avengers and then became, mm-hmm. like, big. Yeah. You, you know how I know Black Widow's big? She was in merchandising. Yeah, yeah. She was a female character in... Mm-hmm merchandising that misogynistically is geared towards boys. Right. Um, they, they should have made a, a Black Widow film back in 2011. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where they waited way too long to do yeah. it. Um, especially since it's been it's been kind of like a tease now for uh, over a year and a half thanks to the plague. But, but on uh, the other hand, I'm in not only because I like Scarlett Johansson as the Black Widow, but David Harbour as Red Guardian is like everything I want in life. Plus we get the Taskmaster. Finally, yes. Um, One of the coolest villains ever created for the Avengers. And would I like him to be in the swashbuckling boots and the cape and all that? Yes, I would love that. Uh, But... I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier gave me enough of what I have always wanted to see uh, in terms of costumes on screen. I can I can kind of let this one yeah. go. Now, 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 let me ask you this. Have I broken my boycott of Disney because I pirated Winter Sol- Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Um, Technically, no, because you didn't pay for it. That, so. That's what I think. That's how I think about it. Uh, my, my, my therapist says, actually, that it's better than boycotting what I did. Yeah, because you're sticking it to them a little yeah, more. Yeah, because but uh, but I had to because of course. Batroc Zelipair. Batroc, yes, and we never saw a body. No, so he's we still did not. alive. I was actually really impressed with what they did with Batroc uh, in that show. In all honesty, mm-hmm. uh, actually, I was just impressed with that show uh, because it should have been a movie. They threw. Actually, I kind of liked that it was a TV show because they got more time to do things. Right. Um, yeah, the last episode was mostly, hey, look at this awesome costume. Right. But I think in terms of... One, I think everybody read John Walker wrong. Right. Uh, they all said he was like this Trumpian character. I saw him mm. as a soldier that worshipped the ground Captain America stood on Mm -hmm. but was given the opportunity to be captain america when he hasn't processed all of his trauma right i i I think that they kind of screwed up the john walker arc um particularly by by killing off lamar i think yeah lamar was a mistake that was a huge mistake probably one of the few the show made with him because, yeah. like, when he killed the 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 cell member in front of everybody, like, everybody wanted it to be like, well, this is police brutality. I didn't read it like that at all. 
Mm-hmm. He he lost control. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Uh, but that's like right out of a Mark Gruenwald, Roger Stern comic. Yes, I will say though, not that I'm going to give any spoilers, that in retrospect, I really appreciate how a certain character ended up. Even though I, I had that thing spoiled for me, where that that one character was going to be, what that one character was going to become. And seeing it play out, I was like, okay, I can deal with this. This is kind of cool. But the fact... the So you have Black Widow on this team. Mm-hmm. Hercules, who is yet to be introduced in the MCU. Right. Um, I have no idea who you would have play him. Uh, actually, I know who, who should play him. Mm-hmm. Anthony Starr. Okay. From Banshee and he's Homelander. Mm-hmm. I think he's got that smile that would right. make Hercules work. Mm-hmm. That smile and that way he has of using his physicality. Right. Uh, I could definitely see him playing Hercules. Uh, mm-hmm. A slimmed down Hercules, don't yes. get me wrong. But that dude's pretty jacked to begin with. So, mm-hmm. um but no, and and you have Ghost Rider who was kind of on Shield. Yes, yes, that was Jamie Reyes though. Yeah, uh, and you know, obviously, both Iceman and Angel have been in X Men movies mm-hmm. to one degree of success or another. Um, right. I actually really liked um, what's his name as Iceman. Uh, Sean. Um, yeah, I know he. He and his brother are twins. Right. Uh, and one Ashmore, of them was, isn't it? Sean yeah, Ashmore? Sean Ashmore, yeah. And there yes. was Sean and Aaron. Um, yeah. Because Aaron Ashmore played Jimmy Olsen, mm-hmm. not that one, on, right. uh, on Smallville. And uh, I, th- I thought when they brought him back for Days of Future Past, which is an extremely flawed film because it's directed by oh. Brian Singer. Uh, even even I, I'm glad that I'm not the only person who who keeps saying that it's one of the best of, of the lot. I'm like, it's the one that really disappointed me because it really wasn't it wasn't an X-Men movie. Yeah, it, it, it was a follow up to first class, which I yeah. loved. <laughs> I like still I, hope I still hope one day to to see the script. Matthew uh, Matthew Vaughn had submitted for X-Men second class. Which was supposed to be set in the seventies. Yeah, I would have dug that too. Just because. and I'm like thinking, okay, since First Class is is a is a James Bond movie, what was big in the seventies? Yeah, kung fu movies. Ooh, yeah, I could have brought in Sunfire and. Yep, that's what I that's what I'm thinking. Second Class probably is, but anyway, we're not talking about Second but, Class. We are talking about the dumpster has- fire. Had the potential to do something, if not brilliant, at least interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because you have a demigod, right? You have a former Russian spy. Mm-hmm. You have two kids that are part of a religious fanatic school. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. I'm not. That oh far no! Off. No! No! Ask my friend Anna to tell you about Fuck Island. <laughs> and and you had Ghost Rider, Motorcycle Hero. <laughs> uh, 
then suddenly Henry Rollins shows up and just punches me dead in the face, <laughs> which I would love, by the way, just yes. to get the chance to meet Henry Rollins, who I who I respect uh, greatly. Um, Henry Rollins would make a great old Punisher. Oh yeah, God yeah. Oh yes, but anyway, I would. But but you know, you, you, so you had these five. You know, it's kind of like a sitcom. Right. You know, this is this is like, you know, what happens when superheroes stop being superheroes and start being real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because of the constrictions of comic books in the 70s and the changing of, of, of uh, creative teams and mm-hmm. one writer not being as on board as he could yeah. have been, it's just one of those things where the concept dies. The one time I really liked seeing these characters. Mm-hmm. Was there was a story during Planet Hulk, right? They had a giant-sized Hulk, they, like one of those specials Marvel was putting out in the mid two thousands, which had like reprints but also original stories taking mm-hmm. place in that time period. It was right. this really cool champion stories deal, champion story dealing with the Hulk, and I thought, wow, this is a really that is cool probably the second part of the crossover with Supervillain Team-Up. Okay. The crossover no one demanded. Because <laughs> it, it's like, are you trying to boost up Champion Signal? But if so, why are you crossing over with Supervillain Team-Up, for God's sakes? But ultimately, the story was there to set up Hercules' end of world war hulk right which if you've never read i cannot recommend enough greg pack mm. uh did a lot of really cool stuff with her the incredible hercules yeah it was it, it, like like his world war hulk is one of those things where if you read the main series and the incredible hulk crossover issues mm-hmm. it's so much better than reading everything right um because greg pack did, I mean, like, the main series was the big Rock'em Sock'em thing. Mm-hmm. The Incredible Hulk crossovers was where you got to talk about what was going on. Right. And it's kind of like, to me, and you may disagree with this, uh, mm-hmm. why you have to read Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps if you're going to read Blackest Night. You cannot just read Blackest Night. You really shouldn't read Blackest Night at all. But yeah, you yeah, are, no, you're giving me flashbacks, dude. But if you're going to, you really have to read Green Lantern and Green Lantern Core along with it for that yeah. thing to make any sense or have any emotional core to it. Somebody got on my case recently because I said one day, hopefully, with hindsight, people will realize how much damage Jeff Johns did to the Green Lantern mythos. I, I think it's. I think the proof is in the pudding that it's that it, it was only super popular when he was writing it. Yeah, I mean, any any time you have that, the only thing propping up a property is one creator. Mm-hmm. Then either that one that's gotten a little out of control in terms of the popularity of that one creator's version of it, mm-hmm. or that the property really doesn't demand the expansion that it got. Yeah, uh, I, I think the same thing kind of happened in 1990 mm-hmm. when Green Lantern blew up, and right. you have the writer, which we will not name. Uh, uh, yes, um, uh-huh. uh, uh, 
so much conflict there. There like, is a character from another, from an independent publisher that I absolutely love that I can now not even think of. Yeah, it, it's kind of hard, too, because, like, if I want to do research... Right. The man has written so many books that are just so good. Mm-hmm. And it just taints it to a certain extent. But... And incidentally, by the way, you know who that horrible human being used in an issue of Wonder Man? Who? Rampage, the superhero who can super Really? Okay. Exclamation point. <laughs> I read a couple of issues of his Wonder Man run. Now, now, get, now, don't get me wrong. He's a terrible human being. I actually yes. like some of his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's uh, the worst part of it, is that... He, he was talented, but he's gross. Yeah, it's it's not like he was an alcoholic or he right. was a drug abuser, uh, because those are things that you look on with a certain level of empathy, mm-hmm. because it's an illness. Right. This is, ew, and yeah. oh God. <laughs> There is a villain he created in the Wonder Man run that I absolutely adore, and I now understand why nobody ever uses him again, which was Splice. Okay. Who was the um, the movie stuntman who sucked at being a stuntman, so he became an assassin for hire. Did he have the big blades? Yes. Yes, he did. Because and... he was used in the Hulk, too, right? No, no. You're thinking of Speed Freak. Yes, I am. No, no, he, he was more of, a, he, he was like a ninja-like character with big blades, and he marketed, basically he had his assassinations filmed for black market snuff films. So basically, this is the faces of death for supervillains. Yeah, basically. Okay, that works. But, but like I said, it, it's, and, and that one character, I think you know which character I'm talking about. That one character from that independent publisher. Yep. That I I loved. I mean, I put him in when I was doing Avengers, West Coast Avengers fan fiction. I shoved that character in there, <laughs> along with Gravity and um, Valeria Richards has the Young Avengers. And now I regret it. You know, I don't think you should regret it. It it is what it is. You didn't know at the time. Right. So it's it's not like you knew at the time and did it anyways. There would there would be something to regret, but yes. you know it, it's just you 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 look at at this concept, and on paper, I know this is going to sound weird. On paper, it should work mm-hmm. because sometimes concepts, disparate concepts thrown together, like they right. almost have to be good because it's such an odd idea. Why the well, hell not? Look at a earlier attempt to do something similar which was the defenders exactly so you have and the thing i loved about the defenders at its height during the steve gerber run Mm -hmm. is that it was basically the equivalency of a superhero encounter group yeah you know steve gerber was deconstructing superheroes a decade before alan moore was writing comics so i really think people start need to start giving steve gerber a little more credit for being able to kind of have the medium look at itself and not be up its own ass about yeah, the whole I, thing. Well, you know he's a hero of mine. Yeah, well, I, I, 
I don't blame you, but I've read some of the Gerber Defenders run. God, it's so much fun. It's just like, basically, the the, the best way I can compare the Gerber's Defenders run Mm -hmm. is the DeMatteis Giffen Justice League. I could see that. I could see that. And Uh, I, I love the fact that he used to say that Daredevil was his comedy book and the Defenders was his serious book. <laughs> I mean, any any book that there's just an elf with a gun. The elf with a gun, the um, the killer deer. Uh-huh. You know, there's, there's and, and, like two or three issues where there's a deer with a human with a human uh, brain running around just projecting malice. And one of my favorite iterations of the Hulk ever, mm-hmm. basically because he didn't know why he was there. He kind of liked these people, but mm-hmm. mostly he just wanted to sit and be left alone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always imagined that in the Steve Gerber run, there were these like little panels we didn't see in the comic of Doctor Strange, like, Stepping out of to another room, going, "Oh my God, what am I doing with these people?" <laughs> but it, it it it's like one of those things where, if it had gelled a different way, if mm-hmm. Tony Isabella would have gotten to do what he wanted to do originally, possibly, right. um, it could have been one of those things. Uh, like, if not a success at the time and forgotten, at least a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking like the human fly, which is a right. different thing, kettle of fish altogether. But right. more of, and it's why I was like, kind of ultimately think of the unknown. Yeah, exactly. Which nearly got a lot of people sued, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. John Latham um, touched Steve Gerber's booty, and shit got real. But, uh, <laughs> um. You see, if it was just Angel, Iceman, and and Black Widow. Because it's obvious to me that Tony Isabella had a feel for Black Widow. Yes. Um, That would be good. And here's something, because you you know me, when I I see something bad, I try to rewrite it to see how I could make it better. And it occurred to me that Tony Isabella, besides creating Black Lightning... Uh, also created two other characters around the same time that had their own book, circa 1975, namely Black Goliath and Tigra. Okay. Look at okay. Look at that lineup. I think that lineup would have been more cohesive. And, and you know what? If you were going to have Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider be part of the team, I would never have him formally be on the team. Yeah, he just, just keeps getting sucked into adventures. Yeah, he'd be basically the Phantom Stranger of the champions. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. And yet, everything that happens, he keeps getting... Like, every five issues, the Ghost, ghost Rider would show up and be like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Again? Oh, oh well, you see, I, I, for some reason, I love this book. And I don't know why. You know, as you said, maybe it was just 11-year-old hormones. Look, look, and look. being... On bo- on the the ground floor of something new because I also got really into Ms. Marvel and Nova. So I I think sometimes you love a concept just because you love the concept. Young All yep. Stars mm-hmm. is a book that 
is kind of hard to read in certain patches of it. Right. Uh, especially when Roy Thomas said, I'm going to get really literary with this. Yeah. Uh, but I love that team. Roy Thomas getting literary? Yeah, I know. Shocking, right? Oh. I love that team. I love yeah. the concept of those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron Monroe is a favorite of mine simply because of what he represents. Mm-hmm. And, but I can sit there and go, man, you know, there, there's some issues in the middle of that, that last story arc. Sons right. of Dawn, just, uh, who that didn't work out. Yeah. So I, I think at some point we as fans have to just admit that sometimes you just love something because of what you want it to be and not because of what it is. Yeah. You well, know, I've. I even went on in the early aughts and I did a short-lived Champions fan fiction series. Um, not with this lineup, though. <laughs> Although there was the Angel and, and Black Widow and, and Hercules. But there was also, <laughs> there was also, Col- there was also um, Maddie Franklin. Okay. Post Brian Michael Bendis getting her high on crack. And Fabian Stankowitz. Okay. <laughs> and in basically the what the fuck, I had Sat- Satana just show up every once in a while. But I, I, I kept the whole idea of the heroes for the common man, and they went to a, a, um, a city that was economically down and they were trying to help make it a better place and that's the thing but that was the biggest thing is that they kept talking about we're the heroes for the common man it never happened yeah you can't fight one like you said they live in a in a high-rise mansion yeah they they, they weren't at least luke cage had the good sense to get an office in uh, Times Square. In Times Square, yeah. At a time where getting an office in Times Square was financially feasible. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and there were subplots that Tony Isabella had set up that never got paid off. Like the, the fact that um, Warren's lawyer, who was in charge of getting the, the skyscraper built, used substandard materials. So that the the champs headquarters was falling apart. But instead, you know, Bill Mantlow would rather have them go fight Camo Tharn and the stranger was involved in that, that, that story too. The guy you get when you can't get the fucking watcher. <laughs> you know, and it's, it, it was, it's, it's, Oh, and you know what? What I have the one issue that's not in this masterworks, Godzilla number three. I, I can pretty much guess why. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Doug Mensch wrote it. Herb Trimphy drew it, and it's basically the champions show up in San Francisco when Godzilla's chomping on the Golden Gate Bridge, and they're too busy arguing with each other to um, actually get anything done. The end. I, so. I just, I, 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 part of me feels a little bad that I tapped out. Mm-hmm. Uh, another part of me feels like 
you know, my forcing yourself to read something you really don't want to read isn't healthy. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but at least we got to get together and talk, which is really yes. the, 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 the best part of all of this. Of course. And we will be getting together to talk about more about the defenders since apparently we were both very passionate about that series. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the early stuff, uh, mainly because I've never read the Avengers defenders war. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's got one of the classic Hulk Thor covers, mm-hmm. um, which uh, which was all. I, I, I'm just going back to the first time I saw Avengers in the theater, right? And didn't realize that I was going to get a Thor Hulk fight. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize that I really wanted a, a, a Hulk Thor fight, but then remembered watching the Return of the Incredible Hulk as a 12 year old and loving it, right? Uh, and, and 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 Disney, why the hell haven't you had Eric Allen Kramer in one of your Thor films? <laughs> He's amazing. No, no, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm dying on this okay. hill. I okay. like Eric Allen Kramer. I think he is an well, actor. What would who would you cast him as? Uh, well, what I wanted in Thor Ragnarok was to have him and Lou Ferrigno in the stands arguing about who was going to win. <laughs> um, okay that's what i would have done with them uh ultimately um god jesus christ cast him as thunderstrike (laughs) oh that's another period we had we can talk we can talk about seriously no seriously it just hit me but it would be really cool instead of eric masterson being a young guy Mm -hmm. have him be kind of an older guy that gets the power of thor I mean, I could see him with like the hair pulled back and the the, the cheesy vest, right? And all that. So, no, but seriously, that's what I really wanted. I thought they they had a missed opportunity is is is, is having Lou Ferrigno and Eric Allen arguing in the stands, dressed <laughs> as one of those the people of that planet. Yeah, uh, going Thor, Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, my friend, thank you very much for taking the time to explain why there will be no Champions Overview on uh, Views from the Long Box. But... And and you are a busy, busy man. Yeah, actually, I have uh, have managed to... uh, I kind of took the last week off. Right. Um, But But, but you've got um, the Overlooked Batman... Yeah, the Overlooked Dark Knight with Andrew Leyland, uh, where we talk oh. about whatever Batman story we feel like talking about at that moment. Um, the the Lois and Clark tapes. Yeah, the, the Superman and Lois tapes. But yes. Superman and Lois tapes. I'm sorry. Um, where me and now Bethany... I've got those. Now I've got flashbacks that awful the Luther tapes three parter. <laughs> um, where I was uh... so stoked because I was thinking they were going to bring back John Shea. No such luck. No, that could be worse. They could have done one where one of his illegitimate kids like had a VR thing going on. Oh, <laughs> wait. Yes, yes, they did. Um, but uh, so the Super Rain and Lois tapes were Bethany, Allison, and I. We call I call us the Bam Crew because branding right. is everything. Uh, talk about the wonderful CW series Superman and Lois, mm-hmm. uh, which has been. 
which I was expecting good things from. Right. Man, did they surpass everything okay. uh, that I thought they were going to do with I, that. I will still say that Tyler Hodgson, to me, was Superman after about five minutes of his first appearance. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You're, you're talking right about after... It. Right after he turned to the kid that he just saved and winked. And I'm like, that's a Superman move. Yeah, no, I just, the moment, I, 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 I talk about this, and it's, and it's kind of strange, but at the same time, uh, it really makes sense. After so many years of being relatively disappointed mm-hmm. with Superman, the Superman I'd been given, both in the comics and on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I got to see Clark Kent running down an alleyway, ripping his shirt open, and turning into Superman, yeah. and being Superman. The it moment... is obvious to me that Berlanti loves the Dan Jurgens run. Yeah, no, it's 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 very it's very much of that era. Um, hell, look at that uh, that actress who plays Lois. Looks like she stepped out of an issue. Yeah, and Bitsy Tullock is is the surprise for me because. I have never, in my history of being like a a professional Superman fan, and by Mm -hmm. I say professional, I mean reading the books on a regular basis and all that. So in 30 some odd years, even with loving the Christopher Reeve films and liking certain parts of Lois and Clark and Mm -hmm. and liking all the other adapted material to one extent or another, nothing has ever reached into my head and pulled out what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And... On one of the more recent episodes, they did an extended flashback. And Lois falls in love with Clark. She's not really super interested in Superman. Mm-hmm. And to me, that has always been so important because why would Superman be attracted to a woman that is dismissive of an important part of his personality? Mm-hmm. Why would you... What do you get out of that? But no. Uh, so we talk about that. Jeffrey Taylor and I are still doing From Crisis to Crisis. Uh, How half- far along are you at this point? We are halfway there. We are halfway. We, uh, we okay. literally, uh, a couple months ago, I did the math, and we hit the halfway point. Okay. Um. So we're about to get into Final Night and the Wedding. Oh, and then- God, yeah. And then Electric Blue comes along. Yes, uh, the, inf- the in- Millennium Giants. I was going to say the Infinity. Yeah, Giants. and then and then we get into the Dominus era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll get into when Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly and all that came in and breathed kind of new life into the into the line. To be and, fair, to be fair, and Mark Schultz. Let's not yep. forget Mark Schultz. Yeah, and, and he was legacy too because he was writing uh, Superman: The Man of Steel after Wheezy and Boggs left. Right. To be fair, though, I have to admit that as much as I, I didn't care for Joe Kelly's run, I loved it, La Chantadora. <laughs> I loved that character to death. Funny thing about Joe Kelly writing that book. Uh, he got that book because the editor thought he was uh, um, Steven Siegel. <laughs> I'm just trying to, trying to conceive of a Steven Siegel Superman around that time. Um, I mean, he wrote it in 2003, so mm-hmm. for about a year, and I had a long conversation with him about that at DragonCon, because right. I said, I'm going to be really honest with you, I really didn't care for that era all that much, mm-hmm. and he's just like, well, neither did I, Right. Uh, 
And basically, he was told, don't make any waves. Okay. Because they were still trying to get the movie made. Ah. So it was like a corporate thing. But he himself was a, was a lovely gentleman to talk to. Both him and Joe Kelly were... Right. I'll tell you a story when we're done. Uh, okay. That's kind of funny. But no, uh, FortressOfBailey2.com. Go yes. check out my podcast. For all your Michael Bailey needs. <laughs> and um, I'm around. <laughs> Here and there. So, um, guys, thank you for listening to us talk for almost 90 minutes. And I think some of it was about the champions. <laughs> uh, yeah. You come for us to talk about one thing. You stay for us to talk about all the other stuff. All the other things, yes. So, so guys, once again, test negative, stay positive, be safe, and hopefully I will talk to you again very soon. I paid my dues Time after time I've done my sentence But committed no crime and bad mistakes I've made a few I've had my shells and kicked in my bed But I've come through And I need to go on, 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 on We are the champions, my friends And we'll keep on Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Spock sabotaged the system.